Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host Jack Perks. Now I come from my mum's house today because I'm having a new kitchen fitted. Ooh, yeah, I know. So <laughs> I know nothing about it. My wife's dealing with it. I've got a clue. But I'm at my mum's, so I'm having to record in a rather echoey uh, room today. So I apologise for that. The rest of the podcast won't be like this if you can hear a little bit of an echo. Now today's podcast is with Dr. Mark Everard. He's an author, a scientist, a broadcaster has a huge knowledge on freshwater environments, particularly in the angling and environment sector. And he's a good friend of mine. I've known Mark for many years now. We've collaborated on lots of projects, gone fishing together. So I knew that I wanted to get him on the podcast. He did actually pop up on the Burbot podcast, but this one we get to really delve into his love of fish. And in particular, the little fish, the little guys that get left behind. Things like minnows, bittling, gudgeon, all the little stuff. So sit back. Grab yourself a beer. Oh, that's gone all over me. <laughs> Pour it into a glass and enjoy the pod. Here's our chat. Well, hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. My name's Jack Perks and I'm your host. Today I'm back along the banks of the mighty River Trent. And this time I'm not alone. I'm joined by friend, angler, and professor Mark Everard. He is Mr. Fish. What he doesn't know about British fish is not worth knowing. And we're going to be having a little waffle about some of the UK's smaller fishy residents as he and I both have an affinity for all things gudgeon, rough, minnow and stickleback as we talk about them. So I'm just going to walk down the bank now and join Mark and have a good old waffle about tiny fish. Well, Mark, welcome back to the podcast, I should say, because you did... A little cameo on the Burbot episode. Certainly did, that was fun. And we're out today on the banks of the River Trent, hopefully after not so little fish, Sander and Barbel. But today we're gonna have a little waffle about about mini fish and little fish. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was what kind of draws you to the smaller fish? Because I guess you get lumped in with them generally. I know roach are a big thing for you, but also the, the smaller guys are what a lot of people know you for. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's lots of things. Uh, I mean, as a scientist and as an angler, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll deal with those in series, really, which is, well, let's take ourselves to the savannah with, with all the wildebeest and the zebras and the giraffe and massive biomass of elephants and whatever, but that's totally dwarfed by the biomass of termites um, in the soil. It's actually the little guys that keep the world spinning um, ecologically and in fact, we could almost lose everything we can see in front of us and the world would not stop. But if we lose the stuff that is too small to see, that the world will stop. So we, we vastly underappreciate the things that we dismiss the most. It's easy to get sidetracked by the big and glitzy stuff, I suppose. Yeah, oh, absolutely it is. And, you know, even, even the plankton in the river 
you know, as a, as a student, I studied um, zooplankton and phytoplankton, but the nanoplankton, which is the stuff that goes to the smallest phytoplankton nets, is functionally, you know, as or more important and, and, and as big. Yeah. You know, the bacteria and, and, and all of the rest of it that, uh, that would go through a, a, a phytoplankton net. So, if we get fixated on what we can see, I guess, and give it an importance that is sort of limited by our senses, uh, rather than asking what are the really important things. Yeah, that makes sense. And with some of the, the mini fish that we get in the UK, although they're small, they're arguably more colourful. If you look at, say, a gudgeon or breeding colours in minnows, sticklebacks, bitterling, they, they outshine a lot of the bigger stuff, in my, in my own humble opinion. Yeah, they do. They do. Also, I mean, as sort of clicking into angler mode, as it were, from, from scientist mode, they are what got us going and that's where the sort of passion is you know yeah uh, and I do feel kind of sorry for the generation that sort of brought up on a buzzer and a, and a bolt rig and a boilie who uh, doesn't get this huge bewildering diversity of tiny stuff and you know the fascinating lives that they all have yeah but when you look at a stickle about building a nest or bitterling laying eggs in a mussel mm. it's easy to miss isn't it it is, it is. You've got to be sort of marginally obsessive like you and me to, to you know, to really get into all that stuff. But I think that's the polite way of putting it, isn't it? Marginally <laughs> obsessive. I'll take that, though. Um, a, a, a question I get a lot, which is kind of going off field a tiny bit, but I'll put it to you as well, is, um, is it fish or fishes? Because ah. I constantly get this. Okay. I know you know the answer, but just for the listeners. Yeah, grammatically, if there are a dozen chub in front of us, that would be... A shoal of fish because they're the same species but if it's a chub and a barbel and a grayling and a bream and a tench well it would be a great swim to be in apart from anything <laughs> else but they are fish airs right. um, spanning the species so that's the protocol because I when I did my first book and it freshwater fishes of Britain I had so many smart asses go oh you that doesn't sound right or that's not the right word and I was like well actually and I'm not any I'm not anyone to lecture anyone on grammar but um, <laughs> That is that is the correct one. So we've cleared we've cleared that up. Cleared the air. Um, yes. You mentioned angling as well, and I guess it's an interesting point with a lot of these mini species. But what's the cutoff point for a mini species? When, would you say like is a dace a mini species, or or is that too big? Like where where are we looking? Well, uh, to be quite honest, it's 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 a bit like the definition between a pond and a lake. Okay. I mean, there are various formalised definitions, but they're only sort of rules of thumb really the real definition is a pond small and a lake's big uh, <laughs> so redmire you know is regarded as a as a lake but it's only a couple of hectares a couple of couple of acres it's it's actually pretty small you could almost call it redmire pond which sounds maybe dismissive a fascinating thing about uh, in the limnological community in, in, the, in the watery community there was a paper published sometime in the early 90s that said what's the definition of a big river and the definition was sort of a river that's big enough to scare a biologist. <laughs> um, basically, there isn't a cutoff. But I published another scientific paper which sort of said, what's the definition of a small pond? And it's a pond small enough to scare a biologist. And the rationale for that is if you have a river and, and a, a similar river, they're going to be similar ecologically. 
but you can have a little pond here and a little pond you know 40 feet away and a little pond 60 feet away and ecologically they go in completely different directions so the smaller the pond the, the greater the complexity yeah which is sort of getting round to sort of saying small and larger you know in the eye of the beholder really. yeah yeah, yeah. So, so dace because you know people match fish for them and um, you know there's a there's a, a decent sized British record of one pound five five two one pound five ounces two drams it's kind of not really thought of a little fish no but ironically the silver bream because it is as my latest book title says Britain's most neglected freshwater fish is thought of it as a little fish even though the record is three odd pounds you know three yeah that's a hell of a silver bream, though, isn't it? That is a hell of a silver bream, yeah. Yeah. There's, like, there's no official... Uh, essentially, the short and curly of what you're saying is there's no official cut-off point. I always think if it's yeah. under a pound, yeah, I, I mean, see it as a mini fish. Pretty good rule of thumb, to be quite honest. And, you know, a, a, a dace over a pound is an absolute specimen. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and a silver bream over a pound is, is a specimen, too. Maybe not in the pound-dace category, but, of course, mainly where silver bream prosper there. They, they prosper in numbers and tend to be small. Oh, so you need stunted almost. Yeah. I mean, where they thrive, they thrive. And where they don't thrive, they're absent in the main. Right. Never know. We could get a silver bream today. They're in, they're in the trend. Yeah, if they've got a hankering for a gob-sized boily, I guess. <laughs> Not, or pellet. But, uh, a record silver bream. It could happen. You it, never know. It could happen. Well, oddly <laughs> enough, I caught a fish that could have been a record just on Wednesday this week, actually, two days ago. Uh, I was baited feather fishing off Lou and um, had a horse mackerel. Oh, yes, yes, scad, yeah. A scad, yeah. it was absolutely vast and uh, kind of looked at the record when I, when I got on shore and the fish was about that size. But to be quite honest, you can spend your life, you can waste your life chasing records and forget that fishing's meant to be enjoyed. Well, that's it. And I guess that actually leads nicely onto another question I was going to ask, but if you could break any... Min you've sort of just said you're not interested, but if you could break any mini fish record, is there one that you would, you'd like to topple? Well, I'm kind of not really interested in the, in the first place. I no. did have my minnow record, but, but that was in a handover when the Angling Trust was formed. Uh. And the F NF... NFSA was it was the official anyway all the paperwork got lost in the transition and it was never ratified oh so you very nearly well I, I did have a did, record you, minnow you did and, get it but and it, it did hit the press and it got me I think a, not a Drennan Cup the other one um, but the point is yes yeah. these things are achievable I think if I wanted to catch a, a giant fish and I'm not talking record I'm talking giant fish and that aeroplane going overhead is not helping us. No, too. they seem to seek me out whenever I do an outdoor podcast. These fuckers always go over. I'm sure, I'm sure he's hanging out his window, giving me the wanker sign as he's going over. Lovely. Go on, mate. You enjoy your sunny day, you prick. <laughs> oh, I'm meant to be out having a relaxing time fishing by the river, and my blood pressure's just gone up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if I were to want to catch a giant fish a giant little fish um, it would be gudgeon and yeah the reason for that is really quite simple well there's two reasons one is we're really affectionate about gudgeon aren't we yeah, I mean yeah, you know yeah. those of us on the sort of the, the more traditional side of angling just love a gudgeon but the other is that like grayling the body size is huge for the weight 
and I just love to see a five ounce gudgeon. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's probably something you wouldn't fit in a 12 inch tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, last Saturday I was fishing the Jolly on the Wally. It's a sort of a traditional angler's gudgeon match on the River Wallington in Hampshire. And uh, well, I'd, I'd won it last year by accident, really. Uh, and this year I had a six and three quarter inch, but someone had a seven inch gudgeon. Jesus, seven inch um, gudgeon. Seven inch gudgeon, but that is probably only two and a bit ounces, two and a half ounces. Yeah. So, well, yeah, they do bulk up. They get bigger in the body when they get bigger. But I don't know. I think you're talking a 10-inch fish or something like that. Can you imagine if they got to, say, the same size as barbel? Can you imagine a 10-pound gudgeon? No, oh, no, yeah. one, no one would bother with barbel, would they? No, no, You'd never no. bother, would you? I mean, there's, there's times when I lived on the Hampshire Avon, you know, I'd sort of ledger in tonight, and the barbel rod would bend double with the take and you well, what have I got here just something little and, and it would be a gudgeon yeah they, they really hit a bait um, the number of gudgeon I've had on, on cubes of meat you know one inch cubes of meat I don't know how they do it I don't know how they manage to get a size six in their mouths but but they do and they wrap that rod round they are greedy little buggers aren't they yeah um, but a lot of these little fish though I mean it, you know I've, I've said before that if bleak grew to five six pound then people wouldn't bother with tarpon would they <laughs> you can fly fish for them you'd be able to spin for them at that size you can bait fish for them and so basically forth. an asp isn't it like a giant bleak in yeah, a way i suppose so I yeah they're, they're sort of related aren't they if anyone like an asp is like a european cyprinid but they're quite predatory i yeah. guess it's like a chub and a, a chub and a bleak had a a franken baby and a franken turned baby into, on steroids yeah they're quite funky looking things never seen one but i'd love to uh no. Catch one, one day. No. Um, do our do our mini species uh, have any particular threats? Sorry, I mean I mean all fish are under threat to a certain degree, but mm. are, the, are the mini ones more susceptible to anything in particular? Well, where where I live on the Bristol Avon, um, going back thirty years, you could go to Tail of the Weir and turn the rocks and pick up um, bullheads and uh, stone loach with your hands. And in fact, when I was a Springwatch presenter, we did one with with me and Daisy, my daughter. Yeah. But now you can't even pick up the rocks mm. because the siltation is so immense on the river. Um, and the fish that, that live in those niches are, uh, well, they have nowhere to go, really. They don't really have an alternative. Um, and bullets seem to thrive okay under dead wood. But um, no, it's pretty much wiped them out. And of course, also, that's your spawning habitat for the chub and the barbel. And uh, I don't think they fare too well in terms of uh, recruitment on the Bristol Avon. And that's a you know a microcosm of the rest of the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, particularly with the transition to uh, a lot of maize growing for um, uh, feedlot beef, feedlot dairy, and of course anaerobic digestion. Uh, I could rant about that, <laughs> uh, but uh, let's leave it there for now. But you know, we changed our land use and we've the rivers just integrate all the pressures on, on land use and the little fish are the best barometers to be quite honest but if you take something like a chub or a carp they've got a very they'll Catholic live anywhere, diet they? they'll live anywhere and they eat anything yeah yeah, yeah. but um, yeah the small guys have more specific habitat needs because I know anecdotally if you talk to particularly older anglers they'll go oh you never see any gudgeon now you never see any bullheads now and I don't know how much of that is that oh there's a perch 
just by our feet. It's just pecking off the maggots. How is it? Uh, it wasn't enormous, but it was enough that I saw the stripe and dorsal thing. I've been throwing maggots down there because uh, I just like to see the fish coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's what he was doing. He was scoffing your offering. Oh, um, sorry, I get distracted by a fish. Um, but yeah, you talk to a lot of the older anglers and they, they talk about this decline. But I wonder, is it something that because they're not looking for gudgeon anymore or they're not looking for bullheads, they're not going to find them? Or I don't know if there's been any official studies into it, but have many fish declined in any way? I mean, I think we just stuck with anecdote on mm. that one rather yeah. than hard science. But yeah. Look, my perception, I'm not exactly young myself, I'm what, 64, and I've seen huge changes uh, in rivers, particularly in ponds. You know, uh, I sort of grew up in early days in the home counties, and there were dew ponds here and bomb ponds there and little ponds. Everywhere you went, there was a little pond, and, and then when I got old enough to get a bike, you know, I'd go and poach them all. and. <laughs> um, and those ponds just aren't there anymore. You know, with agricultural intensification, we've lost them. And they're sort of stepping stones for wildlife across the countryside. Yeah, of course they are. Like a service station on the motorway, aren't they? Absolutely. So they've got their own fish faunas. Crucian carp, of course, is, is something we're both passionate about, and the small pond specialist. But if you're a, a dragonfly, if you're a, a, an owl or a swallow or something, that can use that water body or, or, or get food that comes off that water body, then the countryside becomes quite a hostile place. You know, we talk about a green and pleasant land, but uh, green is not the same as biodiverse. No, the, the state of the uh, country currently, I, I won't go down that rabbit hole just yet, we will be here all day, but mm. yeah, it's not looking um, ideal. And I guess that kind of brings you on to why people should care about these little fish. I know you've talked about them being like the barometers and the canary mm. in, the, in the mine for our wider ecosystem, but they're, they're an important piece of the puzzle, aren't they? Yeah, they are, they are. I mean, again, if we just had big fish, we wouldn't have these important cogs in this complex food web that, that, that we are part of. Yeah. You know, and ultimately, you know, the quality of the water we drink and, and the quality of the air that's get purified by nature um, fertility of the soil, economic resources, all depends on, on nature functioning. And if we ignore the little cogs in the machine, then the big cogs will, will not function well. Um, and there are real consequences, real human consequences to it. Well, I guess if you want to look at it from a bare bones point of view as well, all these little fish are a protein for everything else. You know, that there's, they're Absolutely. a really important uh, the resource for whether it's kingfisher, whether it's perch or pike or mm. otters or whatever you know megafauna that we like to see, they wouldn't be there without these little guys um, unwittingly uh, yeah. being food for them. Not not necessarily by choice, but <laughs> well, let's look at that little perch. You know, it was it was it was snacking on tiny invertebrates that were too small to bother a kingfisher, too small to bother a chub or, or whatever. Uh, but then it becomes the next in the chain. Yeah. Um, and the so pike, yeah, the pike has the perch, and something yeah. else eats the perch. But uh, the pike, sorry. So it all it all goes on. Most mini fish, I guess, people look favourably, but there are a couple of non-native ones mm. um, as well. With the two main ones that spring to mind are topmouth gudgeon and sunbleak or motherless minnow, whatever you want to call them. Mm. Um, and it's ironic because you'd think that species like xander and catfish would be kind of public enemy number one. But I know the Environment Agency have really got to be in their bonnet about mm. topmouths and. I think the way to get rid of them, they they wrote a no note. They, they pretty much nuke a pond to they do. 
yeah. kill these things. Yeah, they net out the big stuff, uh, sift through it to make sure none of the little critters are, are, are straying with them, put them somewhere, um, and then just blitz the pond, yeah, rotenone. I mean, the problem is that um, the TMGs, Topmouth Gudgeons, they... Um, the TMG TMGs, yeah. I like that. <laughs> if, if, if you're in the game, it's a TMG. Okay, I'm out of the game. I'm going to get back in now. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. TMG, they, they, they will spawn multiple times a year. They mature very early. Uh, and um, there's a certain amount of um, spawn protection by the males. Um, and then fish eat eggs and fry of other species. So they effectively stop the recruitment of the other species. Right, okay. So you can end up with a basically a pool of TMGs um, in the long run. But they're not particularly, well currently they're not widespread in the UK are they? No, no it's kind of the, um, they're banged on the head when they're, when they're caught, colony by colony. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, they are a real threat, even though they're tiny, you know, uh, what were they known as in the aquarium stage? Stone Morocco, weren't they? That's it, yeah, that's right. Um, so they've come in on the, on the, on the aquaculture, but you know, they've, they've naturalized, or not exactly naturalized, they've colonized. Uh, and the thing is to try and eradicate before they naturalize, because we could end up with a you know, radically changed fauna yeah. as a result. No, definitely, I know, because I'm, I'm actually heading to Amsterdam next week and I'm going to take a little fishing rod with me and they've got uh, a kind of invasive goby called a round goby mm. which as far as I'm aware we don't have in the UK yet I say yet because if I look at it cynically it's probably only a matter of time but they they've kind of raged through most of Western Europe mm. I think they're a Caspian non-native so like we're you've got demon shrimp and killer shrimp and all the mussels I think the, these gobies fit into that kind of biome yeah the don't Ponte, they? Ponte Caspian yeah they've, they've kind of invaded on bits of the Danube, they yeah. are the highest biomass. Really? Yeah, I mean, absolutely massive. They're, they're omnivores. It's a strange one, actually. Um, I, I got talking to some um, continental scientists about that when I was doing the Burbot book. Yeah. Um, because they sort of share a niche. They, they, they hide in tree roots and, and, and cracks in rocks and whatever. Right. Um, Burbot don't, you know, they don't venture vast distances to predate they ambush what's what's nearby and they're really good food for burbot ah so <laughs> so actually the burbot recovery could do something to to control a bit like signal crayfish actually yeah. they share the same sort of habitat and you know a burbot is quite happy to crunch a crayfish so just another another reason to bring burbot back i know we'd i know we'd sneak burbot into this somehow yeah. So yeah, they're quite good at eating in, invasives, aren't they? Um, I think before we get back to our fishing and, and hopefully pull in a monster barbel and, and xander, I go, oh, hear that kingfisher? King you, I oh, look lovely. Is it going to come by? It's the other side of that willow. That oh, is it? They've been scrapping the whole time. There's a big territory battle ah. going on. There's been a few going up and down there. Apparently, the Trent is meant to have the highest density of kingfishers in the country. Is it? I can believe because it. Because they've got a lot. We've got a lot of steep, sandy banks and just so much food for them. So it's a, it's a brilliant river for them. But if you go to a really big river like the Loire, um, do I mean Loire? That French? Sounds French. French. Yeah. Not the Loire. One of the other ones. But you see, 
it's one territory one side of the river and another territory the other. Oh, really? They're skirmishing on the sandbanks. <laughs> um, it's brilliant. You know, we don't have rivers that big in the no, UK. No, 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 no. Um, Dordogne, the Dordogne River. Ah, I've seen okay. them doing it. Yeah. So, they are, uh, they're amazing. I do love, love seeing a kingfisher. What I wanted to get to was, do you have a favourite? I, mean, I suspect I know what your favourite is, but do you have a favourite mini species? Hmm, difficult, difficult. I mean, probably gudgeon because yeah. they're just so damn cute, you know. Yeah, they are. Um, everyone loves a gonk. Yeah, everyone loves a gonk, and it's difficult to put your finger on why. I mean, as kids, they were, you know, a gonk was a bit special, and I still take huge pleasure in catching gudgeon. But also, I think they've got. If you look at um, kids' cartoons, they've got the big eyes and, and whatever. They, they've actually got almost like a cartoon face. Yeah, I never really thought of that, but they do, yeah. yeah. They're out of proportion, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think they've got that sort of emotional appeal that, that the cartoon drawers sort of link into, you know. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that, definitely. And you literally wrote the book on them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's been republished just recently oh, as right, well. okay. Um, Gudgeon, the angler's favourite tiddler, it's called, which is an because title. Yeah, well, that's that is pretty much, pretty much it. And the, and the the rough book got republished as well, oh, which brilliant. is. Um, if people want to get hold of these books, where's the best place to go? Uh, well, they're published by CRC Press, which is part of Routledge. But if you Google my name and Gudgeon, or my name and Rough, or my name and Silver Bream, they've all, all the three are republished or new very recently then it's going to come up fantastic mm. well look it's always a pleasure having a waffle by riverbank buddy and hopefully yeah we can catch a couple of fish before uh, before the end of the session or get a bite even <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to remain positive <laughs> good chatting mate okay cool that was mark everard what that man doesn't know about fish isn't worth knowing and it's clear that he has a deep understanding and passion of all things with fins. Now, a few episodes ago, I mentioned, I would say, which have been my favourite episodes to record. So in next week's episode, I'm going to talk about my five favourite episodes that I've recorded. And the main topic for next week is going to be signal crayfish, or more accurately, non-native crayfish. So it's Jack does stuff, and I'll be doing crayfish, which doesn't really make sense, but I'll be talking about them anyway. Because signal crayfish and, and non-native crayfish in general are a very complex issue and one that I wanted to spend a lot of time on because it's pretty bleak to be honest with you. But after doing some research there is some light at the end of the tunnel. So I am going to talk a little bit about non-native crayfish in the UK, what we're doing and what potentially we can do to get rid of them. Now if you enjoy the podcast you can follow us on Twitter at TitBearded and over at Facebook on the Bearded Tits podcast. You can also follow myself, Jack Perks, at, at Jack Perks Photo on Twitter, Jack Perks Wildlife Media on Facebook, and over at Instagram at, at Fish Twitcher. If you're feeling extra generous, you can donate to the podcast, and that is via buymeacoffee.com. You can see a link in the description, and you can donate whatever you fancy. We're trying to raise money for a new microphone, so anything to help us hit that target would be greatly appreciated. And as always, if you can leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast, iTunes, Amazon, wherever the hell this is pumping into your ears, give us a review because that helps analytics and stuff. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers. <laughs>